Welcome to another PI World podcast. This is an audio-only version offered as another way to enjoy our great content. A full video version can be seen on piworld.co.uk, where you can find many more videos of interest to investors. Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, obviously, I am the CEO, as introduced by uh, Tamsin, and I'm joined by Nicole Burstow, who's now our deputy CEO as well as our CFO. In terms of giving you a quick overview of where we are. So the business model remains the same. We're a licensed model, but uh, we're a challenger big four professional services business. So we are looking to replicate the services that you might find in the big four within a DSW umbrella. Currently, we have 104 licensed fee earners. That's professionals who operate as DSW and DSW brand across 12 different locations in the UK. And our business model is that we get a license fee, which is charged as a percentage of their billable revenues. And in return for that, we provide them with the funding and the back office infrastructure for them to build their business. And that is our business model. So our business model is to empower ambitious professionals to build their own business within the DSW network. It's a very scalable model. Uh, The big four are present across about 30 or 40 cities across the UK as obviously elsewhere, and it's got low levels of operational gearing. So we've got a very small head office team, which is capable of supporting more. We'll obviously invest in that team as the business grows. It's generally cash generative, and we've got a progressive dividend policy. The handicap to the business, if there is one, is that we're very heavily exposed to SME, M&A. So about 70% of our revenues are related to that activity, and that's a feature particularly of the current trading environment. In terms of some of the bigger numbers, in terms of how we're going on, so that's nearly 12% growth in fee earners over the last 12 months. The compound annual growth rate in our revenues is nearly 14% over three years. And currently, our fee earners bill about £160,000 each per year, and that's our basis for our licence fee income. So our investment case, regardless, is fairly simple. It's to attract People in our regard as a market that's ripe for disruption in terms of we're providing an alternative career path for people in the big four. It's capital light because we're really only supporting people to get through that transition phase into building their own business. It's recurring revenues. So we're absolutely linked to the fortunes of our licensee partners. Our licensee partners are, are encouraged to be successful with our business model. It's scalable, it's innovative, and we're continuing to attract high-quality earners into the business. We listed two years ago, and the listing is very important for us. I wanted to improve the profile of the business. I wanted access to capital for the business, and I wanted to stimulate further growth in recruitment. And I'll now hand on to Nicole, who talk you through our current service lines. Okay, um, so this is a snapshot of where we currently are and the service lines in the group. So we've got 25 different licensee businesses currently, and they're split across the 11 different service lines that you can see on the screen at the moment. In terms of progress in the last six months uh, from the year end, we've added an additional business recovery business, Bridgewood, that joined the group in July. We've added a corporate finance team in the Midlands. And we've also expanded our tax capabilities. So we supported our existing tax advisory business with an acquisition to expand their capabilities to high net worth, IHT, trust and offshore planning. 
In addition to that, we've had really strong growth in partners. Um, so including um, the two partners that joined us in October, we've had an increase of nine partners since, since the year end. Um, and we've added new locations in Cardiff, Nottingham and Leicester. So just in terms of where we are currently, to give you a feel of the group, so Corporate Finance Advisory remains our most significant service line. So we've got 36 fee earners in that business. They're a multi-award winning team in the north and we're currently ranked 20th in the UK in terms of deal volumes. Business recovery is now our second largest service line. That's with the addition of 10 fee earners from Bridgewood in July. And we've got 17 professionals in our financial due diligence service line. Lots of synergies from our corporate finance service line. Lots of referral opportunities are created for FDD. So that sits really well in the group. And then the next largest is business planning. So that's a team of seven in the Northwest. They joined us as an existing business in 2019. We've got our equity finance business, which is PhD Industrial Holdings. They invest in businesses, three to 20 million turnover and typically in the industrial sector. And then along the bottom there, you'll see a number of other service lines, which are smaller, less mature, fewer fee earners. But they're all key areas of growth and areas that we'd like to expand in going forward. So just to give an overview on the model and how it works. So we, um, through our in-house recruitment capabilities, target typically big four and big six assistant directors and directors. And we empower them to build their own business, but under the DSW brand. The model is particularly attractive to um, those individuals that are more entrepreneurially minded, um, and those that are frustrated by the lack of autonomy, politics, and more recently, what we're hearing is the conflicts that are created between audit and non-audit services in the larger uh, traditional accountancy firms. All of our arrangements contain a license fee, and that license fee is based on a percentage of the fees that the businesses bill. That fee has grown historically from 10% up to 22%. So all of our new partners are coming in at that 22% rate. And that remains competitive versus other um, platform models in the market. So you may be familiar with Keystone Law, which has a similar platform model to us, but in the legal sector, and they charge up to 40%. So what it means is that our partners are keeping at least at 78% of the fees that they, they bill. In return for that license fee, we provide all the back office support. So that's everything from marketing facilities, recruitment, compliance, IT, accounting, banking, all of that administration burden to allow our partners to focus on what tends to be what they enjoy, serving their clients and winning new work. We also operate a referral fee scheme. So there's a 10% referral fee for any work that's referred into another business in the network. And really importantly, we provide all of the startup funding. More recently, in the current period, we've also launched um, our breakout um, incentive um, and effectively, that is um, a free cash injection. So it's not a repayable loan. It's it's cash that we, we, we are uh, gifting to that business um, for teams. And it's to try and attract teams from larger firms. And the reason we're prepared to do that is we've got a lot of confidence that if we're starting with three or more um, people, then, then there's a high degree of, of success and success really, really quickly. Um, they're much more resilient and it gives that perception of scale uh, when they go to market. So an overview of the strengths of the model to DSW Capital. So firstly, it's a recurring income stream for us. In the absence of a fixed salary, our partners are only remunerated for work that they actually complete. 
So that incentivizes them to deliver a consistent level of income. And in the main, our license fee is based on a percentage of revenue. So it's top slice, which means it's a robust income stream. We've got minimal exposure to property and employee costs. Those costs are borne by our licensee businesses, and they're the two largest drivers of operational gearing in professional services. Because of the recruitment and the targeting that we do, we tend to get self-starters. Um, so they hit the ground running. And our agreements are very flexible. So it, it's easy for us to bring in new partners and facilitate that organic growth within existing businesses. And the more referral potential that we can generate in the group, and the more that we do in terms of a back office, it makes our partners reluctant to leave. So they're here for the long term. And the model's capital light. So uh, depending on the size of the team, the uh, funding ranges between 150 and 250K. And we've got a short payback period, which averages three years. So from the licensee's perspective, you know, why start a business with the SW versus going out on your own? Well, immediately you've got the power and the strength of the brand behind you. It gives you access to better quality work, better quality clients. From day one, you've got a deal sheet, you've got credentials, and you've also got a network of professionals that are all incentivized to introduce work to your business. Recruitment is easier. Um, we have got an um, in-house recruitment resource to support with that. And generally, our employees see themselves as being part of DSW as a whole rather than a small business within DSW. So we're able to attract talent um, by being able to offer that peer group. We've also invested um, significantly in terms of uh, talent management. So we're able to offer a more structured development framework, more akin to what you'd get in a larger firm. And then finally, really importantly, we offer the startup funding. So we effectively provide the startup funding for the first 12 months, and that includes partner drawings. And that de-risks it from the candidate's perspective, which is really important to us because we want young, driven, ambitious professionals that want to build a business. And so that financial reassurance is very important to them. So the next slide just covers the central initiatives that we've been working on over the last six months. We've continued to strengthen the business model and our central infrastructure, and that's with three key objectives in mind. So firstly, to increase the attractiveness of the model to new recruits, but really importantly, to enhance the value that we're providing to our existing licensees. We want to retain and develop our existing employees and partners. And thirdly, to increase collaboration across the network so currently, our referral rate um, stands at just over 14%. So that's the amount of revenue, out of network revenue, that comes from internally generated referrals. We want to get that in excess of the average license fee because we think that's a really compelling proposition to new, new partners coming in, but also um, in terms of you know, our existing partners, they're getting more value back than they're paying out in terms of a license fee. So there's some examples of the types of initiatives that we've been running just on the right of the slide there. One of the initiatives that I'm most pleased with is our Future Leaders program. So we completed our first cohort going through that training program in the six months that have just gone. That is a unique bespoke training program that we have developed with a firm called Becoming X. And that's centered around the next generation of partners, so that level below. So we've really invested in that group. And we've had excellent engagement. Both James and I have been really impressed with that. And uh, one of the outputs of that was to increase collaboration. How can we do that? Come up with um, ideas. 
Uh, and one of the ideas that they came up with was um, an employee conference. So we have two partner conferences each year. We've never had a full group wide conference and we uh, had our first uh, one of those in September um, and fantastic feedback um, on the back of that. We've invested in our IT infrastructure primarily to drive greater working efficiencies and technology that enables that and also brand consistency. We've also continued to build our compliance framework and support so that A, we reduce the burden on our partners and licensees, but we're also giving them that reassurance that they're fulfilling their compliance responsibilities. And then finally, we've launched our ESG committee we know that it's really important to the talent that we're trying to attract and retain. ESG is very important to them. So it's vital that we are best in class for our size and to show that we can compete against the larger firms. And what's been great about the committee is we've actually got representation from all different areas of the network against each of our sort of four key pillars that we've identified. So again, that's all just driving that engagement and collaboration across the group. So moving on to the financials, the results in the current period have been significantly impacted from what's been a very challenging market and also subdued levels of M&A activity. And we remain 70% weighted to M&A. And that's come through. So it's a hangover from the mini budget. And we've seen that in our revenue per fee and the stat that James quoted earlier. So that's come down to 160k. So what that means in terms of network revenue, we're down 2.5 million on what was a particularly buoyant first half in the prior year. So finished the half year at 7.3 million. Our results are typically weighted to the second half of the year. This year is no exception to that because of the profit share that generally kicks in in the second half. This year, we will also benefit from the full six month contribution from Bridgewood, which joined the group in July, and also um, the potential for an uptick in M&A activity. So as a result of that, our license income has reduced 0.5 million to 1.1 million. We did take the decision at the start of March this year that we would invest in our recruitment capabilities. We're seeing much more favourable conditions to, to try and attract partners to the business because of greater push factors and also the restructuring that's going on in the larger firms. Um, and so we, we've spent um, just under 200k on recruitment in this period. So that investment in recruitment coupled with the reduced activity levels um, has reduced our adjusted PB PBT figure. So we finished um, the period at 0.2 million. We do, however, have a strong balance sheet. We've got 2.8 million of cash, and that's following the investment in Bridgewood, breakout incentives that we've paid to teams and also the dividend payment. And despite our reduction in earnings, we are maintaining the same level of dividends that we paid in the prior year. So we're expecting to pay out 3.76 pence per share for the full year. And a third of that, 1.25 pence, will be paid in the interim dividend in January. The reason we're doing that is we're confident in the medium term prospects of the group. Um, that will take total dividends declared post-IPO to 9.23 pence. And then the most important KPI for us is around fee earners. So our fee earners have increased just under 12% year on year from 93 to 104. And most of that growth is actually from partner recruitment. So eight out of that 11 is partners. 
The reason for that is naturally our existing businesses have been cautious on recruitment and building their team, given the trading environment. But what it does mean is that with that growth in partners, that should be a lead indicator for future organic growth. So I'll just cover the primary statements in a little bit more detail, just to give a bit more explanation on the movements. So the income statement, you can see there the results of very challenging market conditions. Steel volumes in the SME market are down. A recent Experian report from the Northwest, which is where we've got the greatest concentration of businesses, um, quoted deal volumes being down 24%, which is the lowest in 10 years, notwithstanding the pandemic. So very tough conditions. Despite deal volumes and deal activity being down, one positive we have seen is that our average deal size has increased. So CF and DD combined, we've seen a 75% increase to 14 million. So that does give us confidence that there's a growing profile in the brand. In terms of profit share income, so we do have an entitlement to profit over a threshold in some of our arrangements, and that's what we refer to as profit share income. We had just over 140k of profit share income in the prior year because they were reaching those thresholds sooner. In the current year, that's minimal. We just got 20k. And that's also what has driven the relative greater reduction in license income versus the reduction in network revenue. Our central overheads have increased just over 300k. That's primarily driven by our investment in recruitment of just under 200k and also continuing development of our central infrastructure to support the increased number of fee earners. But our admin cost per fee earner does remain low, so it's averaging 17k per fee earner, which compares sort of well to other professional services firms. And then just to flag, we still have an overhang in terms of a share-based payment charge from the growth shares that we issued on IPO. So we've stripped that out as an exceptional item, 253k in the interim period. As a reminder, those shares have all fully converted on IPO. They're non-dilutive going forward, no cash impact, no impact on, on reserves. So it's purely for accounting purposes. And that comes to an end uh, in December this year. So moving on to the balance sheet, just to give you a feel for some of the movements. So the increase in investments and the increase in non-current prepayments is a result of the investment in Bridgewood that we completed in July. We provided a loan to that business to support an MBO and facilitate them joining the group. And for accounting purposes, we just have to present that in those two different classes within non-current assets. Our intangible assets represents our licensed brands. We have 2.8 million of cash at the period end. And of course, we remain debt free. Um, so a robust balance sheet, net assets of 7.6 million and capital available to deploy to take advantage of the recruitment and strategic acquisition opportunities that we're seeing. Moving on to the cash flow statement, we have got a 1.7 million cash outflow in the period. To explain that, so just under 900k was from the investment in Bridgewood. We paid a dividend of just over 400k. We've paid breakout incentives to teams of 200k. And we've also made increased loans to licensees as we've grown our partner base. Our lockup, um, so equivalent lockup. So lockup, if you're not familiar with that term in professional services, is essentially the amount of revenue that's tied up in debtors. Our equivalent figure is 33 days, which is well below our peer group. It's very normal to see 90 day plus lockup in professional services firms. The reason why ours is low um, is because 
A, we uh, pass the working capital requirement to our partners. That's a key strength of the model. Um, B, our partners don't get paid until the business get pay gets paid. So they're highly incentives to incentivized with their cash collection. And three, because of the nature of the services, it's transactional, our clients tend to pay on completion. But the model remains capital light, and that's supporting our progressive dividend policy. And then finally, just on network KPIs, so to touch on some of the KPIs that I've not already covered, our average license fee for the period was 15.6%. You'll note that that's a slight decrease on the prior year period. The reason for that is the profit share income that I mentioned earlier. So the absence of that in this period has led to a slightly reduced average license fee, but we expect that profit share income to come through in the, in the second half of the year. 50% of our fee earners are X big four. That percentage has come down naturally as we've expanded the service line offering away from M&A. At the half year, we've got 11 offices. So new offices in the period in um, the Midlands, in Nottingham and in Leicester. And then in October, post-period end, we opened in Cardiff. The average number of fee earners per business is 4.2. Um, that compares to 4.7 in the prior year. The reason for that reduction is because of the 20% growth in partners. So the, we expect those partners to then build their teams. And as I say, that should be a lead indicator of, of future organic growth. But, but that metric is, is really important to emphasize because that is a key differentiator of our model versus other platform models. We are building businesses. We're not a network of, of sole traders. 21% of our partners are female. That's in line with the bigger firms. But we know anecdotally, female representation tends to be lower in the M&A service lines. So we suspect we're actually doing better on that stat. But having said that, there's still um, potential for us to do a lot better um, the flexibility that the that the model offers should enable us to be sort of market leading, not just not just in gender diversity, but also more broad, broadly in diversity metrics. And then finally, the average age of our partners is forty eight. So again, that compares well to other platform models. Keystone Law, who I referenced before, their average partner age is fifty two. So what that means is we've got greater longevity in our businesses. But not only that, because we're building teams and we're investing in those teams below, we've also got succession planning. Right. So uh, we are very dependent in terms of our, our growth, in terms of um, the financial results on the, in, the underlying performance of our individual businesses. But what we can do as an executive team is drive the growth agenda in terms of bringing in new people to the business. And we're continuing to execute that, that strategy extremely well. So during the period we brought in the... Um, Bridgewood business, so that's acquisition of license fees. So that's why we're trying to bring in existing teams who have existing fees into the network. The second element of growth is organic growth. And this is where we've got our existing licensee businesses, more than 20, and their capacity to take on people. So in the last six months, that's been less of a growth driver because their underlying trading conditions are a bit more challenging. And then the other initiative, which we've pushed quite hard since March, is about actually direct recruitment and investing in people to bring more partners to us. And there's three strands to that. So there's the geographic expansion. Can we be in more cities across the UK? Service line extension. Can we offer more service lines other than our existing service lines, particularly in existing geographies? And then what we call breakouts, and that's essentially signing on bonuses. Can we pull out teams and existing businesses and bring them forward? And on all those three extra strands, 
we've managed to increase the partner headcount and we're now at 48 partners. So that's 20% up. In terms of the things that we're interested in adding on, the first port of call is it's got to be high margin because the model's got to support professionals in demand, in demand to support a license fee, high growth and niche. Niche, I think, is really important in terms of where AI development goes. I think we're not looking to add on service lines that one might regard as easily done by technology in the future. We're looking at service lines that genuinely add value to clients and clients' propositions. So the areas that we look at, so it's existing service lines in new locations, very interested in tax-related services and family office and the private wealth. We have 104 fee earners, but only three in tax. It's a major opportunity, and a major opportunity to drive that cross-selling opportunity. Third caption I call employer solution services. It's a catch-all for me, really. It's because our partners enjoy terrific trusted advisor status with owners and chief executives. And that's a capacity for us to introduce other service lines that those people might be seeking. The fourth strand for me is niche legal services. So Nicole indicated that there's a business with a platform model called Keystone and the Legal Services. And Keystone's probably got 20 or so Me Too type competitors, but I would characterize them all as being slightly different in terms of providing homes for sole traders. Our business model is different. We're not looking for sole traders. We're genuinely looking for people who want to build the business. We want to empower those ambitious people within our network. And that's also an extra element of growth for us. And the final catch-all, if you like, is other big four non-audit service lines. But again, we're looking for those opportunities where I think my existing partners would benefit from having those relationships and be able to leverage off those capabilities with their clients. As Nicole indicated, a major spend for us since March has been on what we've called our recruitment pipeline and recruitment capability. So I would say a characteristic of the growth of the firm, probably more haphazard in respect of recruitment previously in terms of being uh, proactive in terms of when we met uh, inspiring individuals, but and reactive in terms of dealing with CVs. But since March, we've been very, very disciplined and invested in the process essentially to map out all the service lines that might be of interest to us and to approach them. So we're mapping out four to 800 partner candidates a week. We're approaching about 100 a week. We're getting engagement about one in seven, and that's driving engagement and that recruitment funnel. It's something we've got to refine, but we're very pleased with the progress we're making. And by the close of the year, we're expecting to be at 51 partners. And very crucially, as Nicole said, it's the partners that drive that organic growth stream. So I would expect that our investment on recruitment might taper down if I find that the recruitment environment has been very frothy. But I would expect those conditions to be really good for my partners in terms of being able to recruit new talent into the business. And with regards to our ESG journey, it's a privilege to be able to have a business that can take this as a priority. It's certainly an area of keenest interest to the next generation of professionals. Uh, we have a committee of nine volunteers across the business, and that's chaired by Pete Fendel. So we've got extremely good engagement across the business, which is really encouraging. And they've identified the areas and channels that they want to progress. Delighted with the progress they're making. I'm looking forward to reporting on more news there.
So the summary and outlook for DSW, I suppose to summarise, we've faced some challenging market conditions since October 22 and that fateful mini budget. But the recent signs for our partner group is encouraging. I think we've reached the low point in the cycle. We've certainly executed on our strategic objectives with an over 20% increase in partner numbers and we've acquired licensed fee income bringing in a business recovery business in the Midlands, helping that diversification away from M&A. We've seen a 15% compound annual growth rate in fee earners since the IPO. We've gone from 82 to 104, and we're in three new key strategic locations, Cardiff, Leicester, and Nottingham. And I hope there'll be platforms to add on further people and service lines. And we continue to maintain our dividend and look to grow our dividend and to support our licensee partners, we're focused on being the best we can be. We've developed our infrastructure and we continue to provide good, good opportunities and a good backbone for those partners to join us. In terms of the outlook, as I said, I think we've seen some more normalised level of activity for the last three months through to the end of October. Obviously, any other downturn would have an impact on our businesses. But I'm cautiously optimistic. We've certainly set our expectations for the current financial year that our PBT will be between 1.1 and 1.4 million. And we're very optimistic with what we've done with our partner recruitment initiative, bringing in additional three partners under offer and they will join us before the financial year end. And as I said earlier in the presentation, the growth in partners is a lead indicator for our future prospects. They drive, as they build their businesses, they drive our organic growth. So thank you. That concludes our presentation. I look forward to questions. What are your current thoughts on layoffs and challenges that have affected the big four over the last few months? And how do you foresee the group capitalising on this? Uh, yeah, it's a big opportunity for us. Um, so um, as, as you've alluded to, um, so I think KPMG were making 7% of their uh, financial advisory um, service line redundant. There's a uh, lots of um, disruption at EY with the sort of changing strategy to to break up um, the audit um, division and then reversing on that decision. Um, not not just layoffs, but there are also lots of disappointment at the larger firms with with bonuses not being paid, promotions not being made. So. All, all of those are opportunities for us to attract um, talent to the business, and and that was um, it was it was that backdrop that drove our decision to invest in our recruitment capabilities to to ensure that we we maximised um, our uh, you know our, our, the opportunity to grow the business. And will you apply the twenty two percent share to existing relationships? So the, there's a, a mix of um, license fees in the portfolio. So the, the, the license fee has grown um, historically from 10% um, up to 22%. So the new licensee businesses come on at 22%. Um, but that rate has changed over time as the brand um, profile has grown and the more that we can provide from a back office perspective. So there is a mix in the portfolio, if that answers the question. But I think to go further on that terms, we won't be retrofitting where we currently are to our existing licensees. Uh, we're very much working in partnership with them. We're really proud of the partners that we've got and the efforts they do. And I'm not in the business of renegotiating the business deal. So we will try to make sure that people get value for money in all our propositions. But I'll, I'm not a sort of partner who reneges on a deal I've already done. 
And will MA be weak until after the next general election? I think MA is uh, likely to be weak, but I can see the, the, the mood of change. So the, the first strand to that, Tamsin, is stability in the interest rates. So I think that makes it easier for people to predict their short term likelihoods uh, and livelihoods. I think the um, the fact that we've got 12 months of an election may make people also think about whether they want to crystallise the value they're creating in the business in the current tax regime and perhaps not want to risk uh, any possible changes, particularly capital gains tax. So that might fuel more interest in doing transactions. And then the third element that I think will be positive is that um, most businesses, I think, will start seeing um, comparatively good year-on-year progress because we effectively had a shock to the system in October 21. That's worked its way through for a year. So I think we're going to start seeing softer comparisons for companies to beat and therefore perhaps more uptick in individual company performance. And that would be a catalyst perhaps for owners to say, uh, and given the potential for tax regime change to say, do you know what, this might be a good time to go. Um, but then something else might happen. And why not cut the dividend and use this money for more M&A? Well, there's two aspects to it, really, is that I think I've got sufficient capital to apply for M&A. So the M&A that we deployed, we deployed just a, just under a million on op- opportunities. The opportunities that are of strongest interest to us, I think we can cover with our existing resources and possibly a little bit of extra debt. And in terms of maintaining the dividend, I'm also conscious that many of our shareholders regard the yield as really important. Um, and it is. I mean, for an investor, there's two components to a shareholder return. One is income, one is capital. You've commented quite a lot on the recruitment environment, but can you say any more about how you're finding it? I think it's a sort of general sentiment um, when we're reaching out to people, there's an openness to want to hear more um, and are interested in in something that's a bit different. There's a lot more people I think are open to work at the moment. Um, what else should add? The, the, Nicole's indicated that you get those the issues probably in the last 12 months are disappointment in terms of you know, those promotions and pay awards and bonuses. But the other component is this restructuring. So what normally happens in the big firms is that they'll take an opportunity to restructure their affairs, which, which I always regard as a euphemism to get rid of some expensive people. But the, the restructuring actually is unsettling for everybody in the business unit. Um, people have their own individual sponsors and partners who are looking after them, who then get moved aside. So it, it does create uncertainty. And I think we're seeing that. And we see that level of disquiet uh, at all levels through an organisation. And that process is still ongoing and still creating the push factors that we need. We work really hard on our pull factors. You know, there's a great opportunity, collegiate working environment. Um, you, know, you can meet your ambitions, uh, control over your own destiny. It's, help, it's helpful to us if we have the, the push factors as well as working on our pull factors. And how have your non-M&A driven service lines such as business recovery been performing in the current market conditions? As expected, um, so um, steady performance, really. I think the the one comment I'd make specifically on business recovery is that whilst there's, um, you know, you hear about levels of insolvency and administrations in the moment, um, at the moment, our, um, our teams are having to be quite 
careful and um, you know selective in terms of what work they take on because obviously they want to um, you know to be able to recover um, their fees. So so there's um, a, a, a caution with that, I'd say. Um, and then the the other businesses and on M and A related, I'd say performing well and in line with our expectations. And you've talked quite a lot about M&A activity and that it's not quite as strong as you'd like it to be. How much can licensees actually drive the business in M&A? Well, they can be very flexible, Tamsin. So all our partners have got complete operational autonomy. So they can be they can react very quickly in terms of how they price their work and they can react very quickly in terms of seeking work. So they're very highly motivated. So. As Nicole's indicated, they're going to get a minimum of 78% of the revenue. So we've got all the right attributes in our partners. And they're also very capable and driven. So I wish to repeat that because uh, we've got some very good partners. And it was difficult circumstances, but they'll make the most of them. Given the growth in headcount, particularly with the launch of two new offices, at what point do you think there will be a need to invest in the central team? So um, we work on a basis that for every 10 fee earners into the group, we will um, invest in an additional person at head office. Um, so that's that's the metric we currently work to. So at the moment, um, I think we're OK. Um, but as the business grows, we'll obviously keep that under review. How many businesses can you realistically add on an annual basis currently? We don't feel restricted in our capacities to add on businesses at the moment. So comfortably, significantly more, substantially more. Um, There might come a point where that onboarding process takes a bit more time from the business, but it's not a constraint that's causing us any concern at the moment. So significantly more, Tamsin. And that's the end of questions. James, do you have any closing remarks? Well, thank you, everybody, for joining us uh, today to listen to the presentation. Uh, As I said, we've certainly had a challenging time. Uh, I think I'm being cautiously optimistic uh, in terms of our prospects, but I think we've reached the bottom of the M&A cycle. Uh, We've worked very hard on delivering our strategic initiatives. And as I sit here today, I think our medium-term prospects are extremely good. PI World videos and podcasts are for general information and interest. They do not constitute any kind of recommendation or inducement to buy shares of any company. PI World is not offering any kind of financial advice and nothing in our material should be taken as such.